0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Sid is a very busy man, although he is joining us for today's pod live from somewhere in Barcelona train station. Hello, Sydney.
1: Hello, just outside Barcelona train station where it does slightly smell of urine. Uh, are you near the McDonald's? Uh, on the other side of the station, but ah, not too okay. far away. <laughs> okay, cool. Good. Um,
0: let's get on with the podcast then, because uh, we don't have long. Uh, we do want to tell everybody, though, uh, about what's coming up on patreon.com forward slash TSFP. This week, we're going to have a Q&A pod out on Tuesday, answering all your questions and a bonus pod on Thursday, discussing this week's rather important Champions League games. Plus, we just released episode three of our new TSFP Presents series, Top Fives, where we picked our five favourite stadiums. It was very very difficult but hopefully it made for a good listen. All that, Al's paper reviews, access to the TSFP Discord, around about €4 Euros a month. Come join us. Right, let's talk about what happened on Match Day 11, Sydney. On Saturday you went to the magnificent Estadio de Vallecas to see the mighty Rayo Vallecano beat Cadiz by 5 goals to 1 first time in 10 years that Rayo have scored 5 goals in a La Liga game. And then Real Sociedad's historic 8-match winning streak came to an end with a 1-0 win, a 1-0 defeat at Valladolid Uh, Mallorca scored twice late on, they came from behind to beat Valencia 2-1 at Mestalla Guess who scored the winning goal? Former Valencia forward Kangin Lee. Then Real Madrid beat Sevilla by three goals to one. You and I were both at the Bernabeu uh, to witness that. On Sunday, Espanyol 2, Elche 2. Elche still bottom, still winless after 11 matches. Atletico Madrid with a big away win at Betis. Finished 2-1 to Los Roque Blancos both goals from Antoine Griezmann. Betis had won five out of five at home prior to Sunday's game. Girona won, Osasuna won, Villarreal with a 2-1 win against Almeria and Barcelona thrashing Athletic Club 4-0 at the camp now. Monday night football is Celta against Getafe. We'll start off at the Bernabeu because uh, you were there to witness the 3-1 victory over Sevilla. Um, it started off looking like it was going to be pretty straightforward. Then, briefly, sort of in the second half, it got complicated when Sevilla equalised. And then Ancelotti made some subs off the bench and won the game. Is that a, is that a fair summary of what happened?
1: Yeah, I think that basically sums it up. And, and the substitutions were, were Rudiger and Lucas Vazquez and Marco Asensio. And all three of them, within a minute, well, about a minute and a half, were involved in the goal that, that put them back in the lead. Uh, Rudiger, who forced Sevilla out of the Real Madrid area, where they lost the ball. Madrid picked it up, went went through the middle of the pitch to Asensio. He played the through ball for Vinicius, who then, of course, laid it on a plate for Lucas Vazquez. Genuinely, those three had been on the pitch for for a minute and a half. I think part of the analysis of this game had actually been given by Carlo Ancelotti in the build-up to it. Remember on, on on the Saturday before this, he was talking about how if there was a flaw in Real Madrid this season, he was asked, you know, you've had a really brilliant start to the season, it's 13 wins and two two draws in 15 games, is there something you, you haven't liked? And he said, well, at times I feel like the team looks at itself in the mirror a little bit. And this is what I felt like happened a little bit in the second half of this. That once Real Madrid felt like this game was comfortable, there was either a conscious or I think more likely subconscious kind of taking the foot off the gas. And just a, a, a sense of, of allowing the game to, to kind of just happen. They didn't score the second goal, they, they didn't put the game beyond sight for Sevilla and then they got caught. And then, as you say, I think quite rightly, for 15 or 20 minutes or so, Sevilla started to believe that they had Real Madrid, I think, where they wanted them. Mm. Uh, They created a couple of decent chances. They had a lot more of the ball. They were using it really well. But I suppose this is the nature of Real Madrid, isn't it? That it's in those moments when the other team thinks, hang on, there's a chance here, that that chance gets taken away. Mm. Uh,
0: What can we say about the players who are very good for Real Madrid, who we've talked about a lot already, Sid? Um, I'm talking about Fede Valverde who scored another unbelievably good goal this time from outside the box again he scored four times from outside the box this season the most of any player in Europe's five major leagues another brilliant hit another big performance from the Falcon and another sort of moment where I'm left a little bit helpless in terms of trying to find the right words.
1: Sid help me out Sh- shall I give you some numbers instead of words then ah, yes. uh, the, the, the number that matters I think is 104 kilometres an hour That's how quick that ball was when it went in. Um, What? He really, he really did hit it hard. Um, and, and I think that's the thing about, about Valverde, of course, is, is, is how well he strikes the ball. There are, there are loads of things that we've talked about over and over, and so I don't want to repeat them, but, but how cleanly he strikes the ball is really important. Real Madrid have scored more goals from outside the area than anyone else, as you say. He's the main reason for that, but not the only one. I believe it's eight this season Real Madrid have scored from outside the area. Half of those are, are his. And he's really, really important to them. He actually pulled up a little bit at the end. Mm. He was hobbling for the last few minutes of the game. Um, Ancelotti said, look, it's painful at the moment. Well, he didn't pull up. Up, he was absolutely clattered by Papu Gomez. yes yeah okay sorry yes um, but yeah. but I, I must admit I didn't <laughs> see the challenge I saw the aftermath and I, I was because I was on my way up the stairs to go into the, the kind of the post-match interview area and I turned around and thought Fedde doesn't seem to be moving very well then I thought it must be my imagination and then he clearly wasn't um, and, and you know at a moment like that you worry not least you worry because it's very close to the World Cup you worry because he's really significant for Real Madrid but Ancelotti said afterwards and obviously we'll see if there are any tests that, that, that uh, contradict this He said that it hurts at the moment, but I don't think it's anything special, which, of course, is very good news. Yes, a horrible, horrible challenge from Papu Gomez, who...
0: Well, I don't want to say... It looked like he went for him, basically. It looked like yes, it might it have did not been admit. accidental. But Anyway, yeah. uh, we, we won't dwell on, on, on that. Uh, Vinicius Jr. with two assists in two positions where a year ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, he would have probably shot wildly or definitely not played the right pass, which is exactly what he did on Saturday night. So it's really interesting to see that facet of his game developing and, and doing so well there.
1: What really underlines how significant that is, I think, is, is what Ancelotti said post-match. And Ancelotti very, very deliberately, I think, made a point of saying, I have told Vinicius that he should feel every bit as satisfied, having given these two goals that are basically open goals in both cases, as he is uh, as satisfied by this as he is when he scores a goal. And obviously what what that message entails is a reminder to Vinicius, a belief that maybe Vinicius doesn't always feel as satisfied doing this and that what, what Angelotti is trying to impose upon him or at least impress upon him is that, look, this is what matters and, and you've got to take some joy from this. And they, they were two really, really good assists. I mean, the second one's relatively simple but he could have taken it on himself. The first one, I think, although... It's a mess from Montiel that gives him the chance to run into the area in the first place. I think if you watch it back, it's actually a really quite a difficult pass that he threads through for Modric to leave Modric a, you know, a yard from goal and with, with basically no chance whatsoever of missing. And I think, I think that's really important. I think what this also tells you, at the risk of reading between the lines a little bit, is that Vinicius' is really good start to the season has actually given way a little bit, not necessarily in terms of his performances, because they're very good, but I think to Ancelotti being a little bit concerned about him in terms of this kind of mentality question, you know, in terms of, in terms of his approach to the game. And, and Ancelotti, I think, tries very hard without leaning on him too hard, because, of course, Ancelotti just doesn't do that, to reinforce to him again and again and again that this is a team sport. Um, any green shoots from
0: Sevilla? Uh, this was their first defeat since Paolo took over, although they haven't played
1: particularly well since he's come in. Well, I don't know. I haven't been particularly impressed by them. No, it's curious, isn't it? Because actually their results are really not too bad in that you look at them and it's a, a win in which they didn't play particularly well. But the draws, correct me if I'm wrong, are um, Valencia and Athletic Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, difficult games and, and games in which if you get a draw that's okay mm-hmm. um, and in this game the green shoots are that they play very well for 20 minutes and they feel like mm-hmm. they're heading in the right direction the thing is mm-hmm. I'm a little bit dubious about that first of all because I think players have to say that kind of thing post game mm-hmm. they always mm-hmm. have to say oh we're getting the manager's ideas uh, You know, we're, we're kind of bedding them in we're starting to find our feet we're starting to play this way I don't know about you but certainly in the first 20 minutes or so maybe half an hour I felt like the manager's idea of playing the ball out from the back looked like one that they were deeply uncomfortable with. Yes. Although, in fairness, in fairness, they then played very well in the second half for 20 minutes or so. Yeah, but no, they did not look comfortable at no, all trying to play did, it They really think. didn't. Really didn't, yeah. no, no.
0: All right, let's see if they improve gradually under uh, Sampaoli. Uh, let's talk about Barcelona's 4-0 victory over Athletic Club. they bouncing back from their horrible week last week. Continues for Barcelona because... I'm sure you're all aware, they lost El Clasico to Real Madrid. Prior to that, they'd been all but knocked out of the Champions League by Inter Milan. And then they had two really tricky looking games, both at home, but against Villarreal and Athletic Club. where they beat Villarreal 3-0 and they beat Athletic Club 4-0 uh, yesterday. They were 3-0 up after 22 minutes. And last night, Sydney, it was the Usman Dembele show with one goal, three assists and a really, really,
1: really good and enjoyable performance from Usman. He's brilliant, isn't he, when he's good? I mean, he's really... He's I mean, you know, I, 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 I hate to put that caveat in there because really and truly when you've seen a performance like that, we should just be here talking about how wonderful he is. We really should be because he was fantastically exciting he made things happen he was generous he created chances as you say it's not just it's the free assist but it's not just the free assist it was the way that he played the game really seemed to suit him that shift in formation for Barcelona I think they were essentially playing a 4-2-3-1 seemed to suit him as well I think the nature of the opponents probably did the reason why I say when he's good is because of course we have to put this in the context of being a player that sort of defies analysis a little bit because he's wild when he's good he's also wild when he's bad in, in the sense that It doesn't always feel like a product of the overall play, but the... the the type of game and, and he is fantastically talented in terms of his technical qualities in terms of his speed in particular his acceleration you know his 0-60 is, as, as I suppose you could call it or, or his ability to kind of pull away from, from a standing start is, is absolutely fantastic and, and on this occasion it was brilliant my doubt would be I suppose how the other pieces fit around him and I suppose we come back a little bit to what we were saying after the Classico which is about him and Rafinha and whether there's really a place for both of them in the team
0: well, there wasn't last night because Rafinha was on what wasn't in the side, and Pedri was playing a little bit further forward on the left. Uh, Gavi, Frankie de Jong, and Busquets were in the midfield, though Busquets and, and de Jong were sort of in a two in a in a double pivot, and the others yeah. a little bit further forward. Is is this the future? It's a little bit surprising because we know how obsessed Chavi uh, is by having his wingers who stay
1: extremely wide. I mean, Pedri doesn't do that. No, it doesn't. It was curious because after the game he said, we wanted an extra man midfield, which of course doesn't necessarily contradict the, if you like, the Xavian philosophy in that it's all about control the ball and having extra people in the midfield. But to structure it in a way that's not a 4-3-3 is quite striking. Mm-hmm. I think what it does is it underlines that he sees some weaknesses in that midfield or at least saw some weaknesses in that midfield in the Classico. Obviously, the next question is, was this just a one-off or does it happen again? Bear in mind that they played Bayern uh, in, in two days' time. I think as well, it was maybe a recognition that, that there was a vulnerability to Sergio Busquets, and he wanted someone alongside him. Maybe also a recognition that he doesn't necessarily see Francky the Young as, as a single pivot, that maybe he needs a player with him so he has the freedom to bomb up and down the pitch, which is obviously one of the things he does so well—is to break through the middle. As Chavi as always refers it, to it as dividing, mm-hmm. and I think I quite like that idea. You have got this player that runs through the middle and sort of splits the pitch by just running, effectively. Um, and so I don't know if this is a future it feels like it might work but I'm not entirely convinced it's the best place for Gavi or for Pedri although, although in a line of three that is sort of midfielders maybe except of course Dembélé just isn't a midfielder
0: No, no,
1: certainly not A quick word about Athletic
0: who are dreadfully disappointing I mean it's very difficult when you concede uh, three goals in, in, in 22 minutes you're never really coming back into it after that they started the game with Ika Munyain on the bench
1: which was very surprising yeah it was wasn't it it, unless there's a physical element to it it doesn't make a lot of sense to me I think he's been their best player by a very long way this season maybe there was a degree of of a kind of protection there because of course they played in midweek and you know those midweek fixtures we we don't always I think appreciate how significant they can be to the teams that aren't the biggest you know I I don't have a huge amount of sympathy for big clubs saying you know we played Wednesday Saturday because of course that's the nature of their squads I think for those smaller clubs that for the majority of a season play every seven games when they have a round of fixtures squeezed in together when it's and it's not just Wednesday Saturday Sunday is it it's it's Sunday Wednesday Sunday I think for those teams it does have an impact and so that's the only that's the only real explanation I can think of I thought Athletic were terribly poor and and after such Mm. a good start to the season it was really quite disappointing
0: It's four games without a win now for Athletic two defeats and And two draws, they have had a tricky run of fixtures and they had had a relatively winnable uh, start to the season. So we saw them draw away at Sevilla, lose to Atletico Madrid, probably should have won at Getafe but ended up drawing and now a defeater. Uh, at Barcelona they've got Villarreal uh, at the weekend as well and uh, that is another that's the sort of end of their tricky run so I maybe mean, yeah. if they can get a win there uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see them improve uh, we should talk about Antoine Griezmann who is in absolute baller mode at the moment uh, he was really impressive against Rio last week in midweek certainly in the first half and he scored both goals against Betis uh, regular listeners to the pod will, will know that I know someone who knows Antoine Griezmann who's quite close to him and he's telling me he's happy now, and you can tell it. In, you can see it in little things. He, say, he says he's sending me sort of silly messages now. Uh, when, when before he wasn't, uh, he's smiling a lot. He's joking a lot, and you can see on the pitch, he's really, really enjoying himself. And physically, he looks good as well because he was only playing 27 minutes or so for the first uh, few weeks of the season. Uh, his contract situation is now sorted out. And he is putting in these kind of world-class performances that we had come to expect of him. We spoke a little bit about him on the bonus pod uh, last week after his big performance against Ryo, but fair to highlight him once again because it was another great display from him.
1: Yeah, well, to use Simeone's words, he says it it seems like we've got back the Griezmann that, that we lost. You know, we, we, The Griezmann that left us was playing like this, maybe not at the very end of that time, but certainly in the build-up to him going to Barcelona, he'd been playing very well. It's been a little bit of a difficult start for the season, to the season, but I actually think he was playing really well when he was only playing 30 minutes at a time. Of course, he was, he was making those 30 minutes really count. He's now able to play all the time. I personally think, although I know not everyone agrees with this, but I personally think that 4-4-2 suits him. If he's the other striker and he's given a degree of freedom, I think that spells very bad news for Jao Felix because I don't think there's a natural place for him in this team now. Um, but I actually think they're they're better off this way, and, and and I think there's a degree of leadership as well about Griezmann because of the nature of his kind of his attitude, how how um, how much sort of solidarity or generosity that he shows to teammates. I, I think I think he's he's looking in very very good form, which of course may or may not be partly to do with the fact that he's got a World Cup coming up.
0: Hmm. Yes, I think that might go hand in hand with it. Fair to say that Betty's manager Manuel Pellegrini wasn't too happy with this result and how the game panned out. He said, the team that came here to try and... Uh, didn't the, the team that tried to win this game ended up losing and the team that didn't try to win this game ended up winning, having a little bit of a dig at how Atletico Madrid uh, were set up. Certainly at, at half-time, Atleti hadn't had a shot on target. They were sitting back playing five across the back and they were not particularly adventurous, but it, it worked for them and Betis couldn't break them down. Nabil Fekir came on for the final 15 minutes, scored an unbelievably good free kick and generally had a super impact on the game he is such a good player if you look at like all the metrics if you're looking at the stats in terms of key passes through balls, dribbles, uh, assists he's right up there As one of the genuinely statistically one of the best players in La Liga, and then away from the stats, he's just great to watch as well. So it's a shame he's been out for three weeks injured uh, for Betis, but he's back now.
1: Yeah, I mean that last point you made was exactly what I was thinking as you're going through the stats. I was thinking, yeah, and he's fun as well. Um, He's 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 (laughs) he's brilliant. I love I love the way that opponents bounce off him. I love his 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 kind of his willingness to try things that maybe other players wouldn't wouldn't risk. Um, He's he's really important for them, and he's important for them as well because he gives them. Maybe a little bit of a cutting edge that they don't always have. Although I, I quite like William Carvalho playing further forward. Obviously, Sergio Canales is a brilliant player, although he was missing this time because of the suspension. Uh, Juanmi is a player who I think doesn't have as much kind of to him, but but is very decisive. That ability to move in off the left and, and score goals. And and he's I, a I can top un- scorer last season. Yeah, probably. exactly. I, I can understand Pellegrini's point, but I think as you know, part of that point. I don't know about you, but if I'm if I'm Diego Simeone and I hear I hear. Um, Manuel Pellegrini say that I say yep, it's, it's, yep. It's, it's kind of what he wants isn't it it's, it's sort of it's, this is a Simeone shaped Atletico Madrid or it's starting to look like it might be because if you look at their results away from home they've been to Real Sociedad Atletic uh, Sevilla Betis uh, Getafe and uh, there's one I'm missing which is another biggish club and they've won all of them except one which they drew um, and so you know their away record is really really good and it's very Simeone-esque
0: it is it absolutely is Uh, did you say Valencia Valencia
1: Valencia I didn't say I think is the other one that's right Yeah, that's the other
0: one so uh, yeah Uh, impressive from Atleti in terms of the results they're getting on the road tell me about Vallecasid what was it like going there how fun was
1: it to watch Rayo beating Cadiz they're just brilliant fun Um, they're really brilliant fun and it's not just because they scored five goals this time although that that helps of course Um, and because Partly that's conditioned by the fact that there were there were two red cards for for Kadith. It's partly conditioned the fun by the atmosphere because these are two sets of fans that get on very well and it's very enjoyable. And on a Saturday afternoon it tends not to be good, but a Saturday afternoon on the on in the sun with two sets of fans who like each other is good. But it's actually about the way that they play um, Rio, and and I thought it was a really interesting way of framing this. After the game, Sergio Antalios said you know, Raya don't let you breathe. You you, you sort of, you you clear and they're back in again and it was almost as soon as you get rid of the ball, it, it's coming back and they put a lot of balls in the box, they're running at you a lot, they double up on the wings um, and and I decided that, I thought, yeah, this is kind of the definition of Raya Aikano. and so when Andoni Edoola came into a press conference I said, look, Sergio has just said that you're a team that don't let people breathe. It occurs to me that the goals you score aren't a product of the move that leads to them or at least not only a product of the move that leads to them but they're a product of the culminative effect of all of the moves and, and Idola kind of put it in quite an interesting way he said well I think that's exactly it he said, he said we're a team that maybe doesn't have a huge amount of clarity like some teams you know the chances we create might not be super super clear chances but we're a team of, of very high volume and he said, and what I want is a game of lots of volume, lots of productivity, lots of balls in a box, lots of potential situations, even if they don't lead to situations. And I think that's what it is about Rio that makes them fun. There's a kind of a relentlessness about them. It's a kind of a, a we keep on coming. Yeah, we know there's some limitations to what we can do technically, but we, we just, we kind of, to use a cl- horrible old cliche, we keep asking questions of the other team's defence, you know. We keep, we keep making them have to react to us. We keep forcing them back, even if it is occasionally with just a ball over the top and a couple of people are running at it but but i think that makes them a, a lot of fun to watch and it's one of the reasons why they in my opinion overachieve uh, <laughs> one of the things i like and quite
0: find quite fun is that they've got a center back who takes free kicks and scores yeah I've, al-
1: I've always liked that i don't know why it's always seemed a bit bit funny to well, me and, but and, Florian and Lashun, in his case whoa. yeah and it, and in his case as well he's not like a center back that you think he would be a natural free kick taker because he's not your center back that's you know gliding out of the back with the ball. He's not bad with the ball, but he doesn't look, you don't look at him and think, oh yeah, he's a real ball playing centre back. No. It's like when he so he, when he came up to take that free kick the other day, and it was actually the second he'd taken because I think the first one he'd had, did it hit I can't remember now if it hit the wall it just went over the bar. But anyway he comes up to take it and you sort of think, oh here comes the big lump to lump it. And that's kind of <laughs> what he does and it's a brilliant goal.
0: Uh, second free kick he scored this season, uh, Florian Lejeune. So he, he's got something. Uh, and Ryan, he does, yeah. Uh, Rayo doing well. Quick word on Cadiz. They're second bottom. They've only won once all season. They're coming into this game on a run of uh, Five matches without defeat, but four consecutive draws. I look at them, I look at the squad, and I really don't think they're staying up this season. Maybe I'm wrong. No,
1: I, I agree with you, although I agree with you slightly less than I would have done four weeks ago. Um, and you, you mentioned that run of five without, without a defeat and all right, some, some draws and it's not as impressive as it might look. But I think what's changed in those five weeks is they've actually started to make some things happen occasionally. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a team, remember I saw them score their first goal of the season away at Valladolid, what was that, week five or six maybe? Mm-hmm. And they scored it in the 94th minute having done, and I, I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating here, having done absolutely nothing mm-hmm. to try and score a goal. Um, and and at that point I just thought they they just haven't got anything they really haven't got anything and in the last few weeks it's almost as if they've realised that actually we cannot carry on like this and I think they have improved in that sense but the bottom line is still as you say they're just they just don't have very much I don't think I mean look, Lucas Pérez is a good enough forward that maybe they, they should score a few goals between you know, between now and Christmas, maybe win a couple of games to put themselves in a position where it looks a bit different and then maybe rethink in the window but at the moment I think they're they're a very very limited team uh, Before we go, quick mention on the Segunda
0: División, Las Palmas are top after they beat Cartagena 1-0 Alaves are three points behind them after a 0-0 draw with Sporting something extremely weird happened, Burgos conceded twice in a 2-0 loss at Lugo, this is a Burgos side that set a new record for uh, consecutive clean sheets, Well they conceded twice uh, this weekend and tonight is the big one, Sydney I'm very, very, very surprised you are not at the Estadio Carlos Tartiere uh, because it's the start of a new era for Real Oviedo they host Malaga tonight and it's the first game in charge of Alvaro Cervera, the former Cadiz manager the man who took Cadiz from the Segunda B to the Segunda to the Primera División it's the start, Sydney, of that march up the table towards the promised land of the Spanish top flight. Are you with me?
1: <laughs> I really hope I am. <laughs> I don't know if I have quite your enthusiasm for it, but I would love to think you were right.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to sum- summon some enthusiasm because I'm not particularly yeah. enthusiastic for what's going what's to happen. But who knows? Let's see uh, Let's see if you can get uh, Oviedo up towards uh, the playoffs. Uh, there is football this week and there is lots of it. European... Uh, In its nature, on Tuesday night, Real Madrid are in Germany to take on Leipzig. They've done the hard work. They're through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. They need a point from their last two matches to make it through as group winners. Should be able to get that. Uh, they uh, take on RB Leipzig. And Sevilla host FC Copenhagen. This is basically, basically, to figure out who finishes third and gets the Europa League spot because it doesn't feel yeah. like either of these sides are going to catch a Dortmund and certainly not uh, Manchester City, who are, who are already through. Then on Wednesday, massive game at the Civitas Metropolitano. I've got it into my head now, by the way. You've got to call it the Civitas. Wonder is gone. You just... I was calling yeah, it. wonder, wonder is for, gone for weeks. But it's not the wonder; it's the Civitas. Well, it's not. It's the Metropolitano.
1: Well, it's, uh, I stick with Metropolitano, although actually quite hard to get in your mind after two years or four years yes. however long it is. Of calling it the wonder, yeah. Yeah,
0: but a massive game for Atleti against Bayer Leverkusen. They need to win this if they're going to make it through to the knockout stages. They absolutely do. Uh, and um, we'll see. We'll see whether or not they manage to do so. Are you going to that, by the way?
1: I'm not because, of course, it clashes with Barcelona against Bayern. So, I will be back here in Barcelona for Barcelona against Bayern, which I actually agree with you because I can, I can see your face, sort of the slightly, oh, slightly confused yeah. look on your face. It's <laughs> a, it, the, the Atletico game is actually bigger in the sense that I think Barca going out no matter what happens in their game because the chances are Victoria Pilsen will lose to Inter Milan right and that, and that game is being played before Barca yes. against Bayern so there's a very exactly. very,
0: very high Good. probability that Barca kick off against Bayern already eliminated I'll tell you, I tell you what
1: though let's let's not knock it right because as match reports go a match report where you already know the story <laughs> before the game has been played is probably not a bad thing is it
0: yes I'm sure that'll bring a lot of solace <laughs> to all the disappointed Barcelona fans around the world that Sid will have a slight easier evening uh, on, uh, on Wednesday we've got Europa League as well on Thursday Bessies against Ludogorets uh, Re- La Real are in Cyprus lucky people to take on Amonia Nicosia and in the Conference League it's Vierreal against Hapoel beer Sheva. Uh, we're going to be over at Patreon for the rest of the week if you need us a Q&A pod tomorrow if there's anything we didn't talk about and there's lots we could have but we didn't send us a question and we'll answer it on the Q&A pod and then on Thursday we'll be discussing what happened in the Champions League for Spanish side so make sure you come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFB, amigos otherwise we'll do it all again here on Monday next week
1: adios cheerio